Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our text reads like a beautiful song, a song of praise to God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Peter continues by mentioning the wondrous works God has done for us. In his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. He has granted us the promise of sharing in his glorious inheritance. How often do we stop to count our blessings like this, to give thanks and praise to God for them? Life is not always such that we feel like singing. The people to whom Peter was writing sure experienced that. Peter calls them the exiles of the dispersion. Other translations refer to them as strangers or pilgrims on earth. It's likely that these Christians were predominantly of Gentile background. Coming to the faith had changed their lives dramatically. They no longer lived according to the ways, the sinful ways of the flesh. They no longer attended the local temples to worship pagan gods. They didn't join in with the drinking parties and the cultic prostitution practiced by many in their day. But because their way of life had changed, they were ridiculed, they were ostracized by their former friends. When they come to the Christian faith, they've been so excited about the Lord Jesus Christ and about the doctrine of salvation. But now some of their joy, some of their enthusiasm had faded away. The realities of life were causing them to begin to doubt. Where was the power of God? Why did he allow them to be persecuted? Was it really necessary for them to suffer the rejection of the world? If the exiles of Peter's day had been inclined to sing, it would have been a lament and not a song of praise to God. Perhaps you, dear brother or dear sister, can relate in some way to the situation of the exiles of Peter's day. Perhaps in your life you're beset with worries, with struggles. Perhaps you suffer sickness or disability or loneliness or depression or bereavement. Perhaps you struggle in your family relationships or you're faced with loved ones who have departed from the service of the Lord. Maybe that you are unemployed or don't have sufficient work or you face financial hardship. Times like that, we can really question God's goodness, his faithfulness. And the last thing we feel like doing is thanking and praising him in those kind of circumstances of life. And yet, beloved, that's exactly what Peter encourages the exiles of the dispersion to do. He encourages them to rejoice even though for a little while they may be grieved by various trials. 
Peter points to God's abundant mercy to us. He says, God caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. On this Easter Sunday, we'll see how Jesus rising from the dead gives us this glorious perspective on life. Preach to you God's word under the following theme. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God gives us a living hope that we may share in his glorious inheritance. We'll see the source of this hope, the contents of our hope, and the certainty of our hope. The Apostle Peter begins his letter to the exiles scattered throughout Asia Minor by speaking to them about hope. Now the word hope can be used in different ways. Sometimes we hope for something that we know is not very realistic. Kids might hope for a new car from their parents on their 16th birthday. But most know that their parents will not gratify their desires. The Bible speaks differently about hope. Hope, in a scriptural sense, is not just a pipe dream. Hope is a confident expectation of future blessings based on facts and promises. Peter tells us God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The source of the exile's hope is that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. Does that make any sense to you? What relevance does Jesus rising from the dead have to the situation of the Gentile Christians Peter is addressing? At first, they'd been attracted to the Christian faith. They'd listened to the rich promises that the apostles had made to them. In Jesus Christ, they'd been promised the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. They'd been given this whole new outlook on life. Yet all the promises that had been made to them did not find much evidence in reality. The faith of these new Christians didn't do much for them in Roman society. By refusing to participate in the feasts in which the Roman gods and the emperor were worshipped, Christians became a target of slander. The fact that they were no longer willing to involve themselves in the immoral lifestyle of the world also set them apart from their unbelieving neighbors. Because they were different, these Christians were spoken about as being evildoers. They were reviled and persecuted. In those days, you need to be part of a guild to do work in a certain trade. Just like union membership is required to do certain jobs. But guild membership involved the worship of the patron god. Parties in that god's honor. And the drinking and the carousing that went along with this. Refusing to participate often meant you no longer had a job. Or that people didn't want to hire you. There were often severe, con severe economic consequences to being a Christian. And so the exiles of Asia Minor were faced with doubts. Who was this God that they were serving? Was he really mighty and powerful? And if that was the case, why did God let them suffer so much? Why did the wicked prosper while they faced one trial after another in their lives? 
If God was really powerful, if Jesus was their ascended Savior, ruling from the Father's right hand, why did they experience so much suffering? The Apostle Peter could relate to the fears and concerns of these new Christians. At a certain point in time in his life, too, he had been filled with hopelessness and despair. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ had changed all that. Let me explain. The Lord Jesus called Peter to be one of his disciples. And slowly Jesus led Peter to put his faith in him. Both Jesus' teaching and the works that he did had influence on this. Jesus' teaching was unlike that of the religious leaders of his day. For example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that those who suffered would be blessed in the kingdom of God. He assured those who suffered persecution they would come to glory. At the time, Peter had not understood all of that. But he didn't know there was something special about the Lord Jesus. Peter recognized Christ's kingship when his instructions resulted in them catching a great catch of fish in the middle of a day. Together with the other disciples, Peter was amazed that even the wind and the waves obeyed Jesus. The miraculous feeding of large crowds and other miracles confirmed Peter's faith in the Lord Jesus. And so when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The disciples rebelled against that kind of talk. They didn't understand it. They didn't want to hear about it. Yet when the time of Jesus' death drew near, Peter said he was ready to go with Jesus both to prison and to death. In response, Jesus told Peter he would deny him three times. Peter did deny the Lord Jesus three times. He swore he did not know him. We read about that in Luke 22. Tells us that after Peter's third denial, the rooster crowed. The Lord Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. Luke says that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. His betrayal of the Lord Jesus was followed by Jesus' death. Peter's Lord and Master, the one in whom he had placed all his hope and expectations, had died. And so Peter's hopes were dashed. His dreams were destroyed. His life lost all perspective. It hardly seemed worth living anymore. Yes, beloved, Peter hit rock bottom. He had given years of his life to follow the Lord Jesus. He believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the King of the Jews. He put his faith and trust completely in him. And now Jesus was dead, crucified by Roman soldiers. So much for all Christ's talk about the kingdom of God. A dead king wasn't going to do the Jews any good. Peter's life was shattered. It was in disarray. He didn't know if he was coming or going. Peter was guilty. He was dejected. That Sabbath day between Christ's death and resurrection, 
would have been one of the worst days of Peter's life. And yet, beloved, God showed forth his mercy and his grace to Peter. When the Lord Jesus arose from the dead, he was particularly concerned about Peter. In Mark 16, verse 7, the angel told the women who came to Jesus' tomb they were to go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus had risen. He would meet them in Galilee. Various Gospels tell us that Peter himself went to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went away marveling to himself at what had happened. The Bible tells us the Lord Jesus made a personal appearance to Peter. In Luke 24, verse 34, we read of how the men traveling to Emmaus returned to Jerusalem to tell the disciples about how Jesus appeared to them along the road. They were told the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5 confirms, confirms that Christ appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. That first Easter Sunday, it would have been one of the best days of Peter's life. On that day, his faith was vindicated. The fact that Jesus arose from the dead gave him new hope. They confirmed the fact that Jesus truly was the Christ, the Savior of the world. All the words the Lord Jesus had spoken during his earthly ministry, all the promises he had made were not in vain. In his resurrection, the Lord Jesus demonstrated his power and might. By rising from the dead, Jesus showed forth his victory over sin and Satan and death. Christ's resurrection gave Peter a whole new perspective on life. For Peter, there remained one huge burden on his heart. His denial of the Lord Jesus John 21 tells us about the manner in which the Lord Jesus dealt with Peter's denial of him. From the seashore, the Lord again directs Peter and some of the other disciples to another miraculous catch of fish. After breakfast, the Lord Jesus three times asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Each time Peter answered, yes, the Lord told him, Feed my sheep. The Lord Jesus knew Peter had wept bitterly because of his sin. In a gentle manner, the great shepherd of the flock forgave Peter. He restored him to his position as apostle. And the result was that Peter could confidently speak to the persecuted exiles living in Asia Minor. Had they lost perspective in the promises of God? Were they despairing because of the struggles they were undergoing? Well, he could relate to that. And he knew just the remedy to give them a renewed perspective on life. Peter sings a song of praise to God. He speaks about how God has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The fact that Christ rose from the dead is the source of of our hope. It helps us deal with the problems we face by assuring us we have a future. It gives a renewed perspective on life. 
In our first point, we've seen that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the source of our hope. In our second point, we'll deal with the content of this hope. Peter identifies what this living hope is in verse 4 of our text. He says that God has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Why should the resurrection of Jesus Christ give these suffering exiles hope? Because the resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee. We may share in his heavenly inheritance. In the Old Covenant, God had promised Abraham that he and his descendants would inherit the land in which he lived as a stranger and sojourner. God delivered his people from Egypt to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. In the promised land, every Israelite had his own possession, sat under his own fig tree, and enjoyed the fruit of his own vine. To the Israelites, nothing appeared more desirable than the quiet, prosperous, permanent possession of their land. In the New Covenant, the converts to whom Peter was writing were looking for the Lord's blessing on their lives. They forgot that just like Abraham, they were exiles. They were pilgrims in a foreign land. And they didn't realize what it meant to take up their cross and follow Jesus. In Philippians 2, Paul speaks about the way of suffering. The Lord Jesus had to walk. He says, Christ did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 12 that Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Christ suffered great humiliation before he was exalted. And the pathway for Christians is often no different. Living on this sinful earth too often involves suffering. Like our Savior, we often need to endure suffering on the way to glory. Christ's resurrection testifies to us that our struggles on this earth are but temporary and that God has something wonderful in store for us. When Christ arose from the dead, he went up into heaven to sit at the right hand of his heavenly Father. In different parts of the Bible, we read about his exaltation and his glory. Our Lord has received the place of high honor. He rules as exalted king, having authority over all in heaven and on earth. He is praised and adored, both by the saints and the angels. And he's promised that we may share in his inheritance. We are heirs of everlasting life. It's one of the privileges of being God's children through grace in Christ. So what do we inherit? Because of the great value of our coming inheritance, Peter is not able to describe it. We just don't have the words to describe the coming glory. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined the things God has in store for those who love him. That's why Peter describes our inheritance in terms of what is not. He, said, he says that it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
But that, in other words, our inheritance is death-proof, it is sin-proof, and it's time-proof. The treasure Christ has in store for us cannot be damaged, broken, or destroyed. It cannot be spoiled, corrupted, or polluted. It remains free from blemish and is pure. Unlike most things on this earth, its beauty will not fade away. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a guarantee. We may share in this life with God. What a rich treasure the Lord promises us, beloved. The question that faces us is whether or not we are willing to put our trust in Jesus and to hold fast the promises he's made to us. There is great danger that in times of trouble or suffering, we give up on God's promises. At times in our lives, we're all attracted to the treasures that this world has to offer. Let's take to heart the words the Lord Jesus spoke in Matthew 6. He warned us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Love it all too often, Christians lose their hearts to the things this world has to offer. When we're going through hard times, it's so easy to give up on God's promises. We begin to doubt God's goodness, his power, or his love. And then we're vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one, to the temptations of this world. Instead of denying ourselves, we are tempted to take our pleasure now, even if it means going against God's commandments. So easy to fall into the trap of living as if This life is all that there is, forgetting about the future. But if we walk in the ways of this world, we will eternally regret the pursuit of shadows instead of the substance. The pleasures of this world tend to produce a bitter taste in our mouths after we've partaken of them. Yet we have God's assurance, our heavenly inheritance will never disappoint us. It's definitely worth suffering for. Dear brother, dear sister, consider where the pathway of your life is heading. Are you walking on that narrow road that leads to life? Or are you walking on the broad road that leads to destruction? Brings us to our final point, and it will deal with the certainty of our hope. Till now, we've seen that the resurrection of Jesus Christ assures us that we may, he- may share in a heavenly inheritance. But what about our suffering? What about our struggles? What about the adversity we face on this earth? It's well and good to talk about the glory of the future, but how are we going to get there? Peter addresses these questions in verse 5 of our text. He says that by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter says we're kept. We are shielded by the power of God. 
Not only is the inheritance safeguarded in heaven for the heirs, but also the heirs are guarded by God for salvation on the final day. Yes, beloved, it's true. God may allow us to undergo hard times. We may face hardships and suffering in our lives on this earth. But these things are not meant to destroy us. They are meant to strengthen us in our faith. God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. He keeps us, says the psalmist, as the apple of his eye. No one and nothing can snatch us from out of the hands of our Savior. God is almighty. He will use his power to defend and preserve us against all our enemies. As our faithful God and Father, he will provide everything that we need for body and soul. How can we be sure of God's preserving care? How can we be certain that there really is a heavenly inheritance awaiting us? Only through faith, beloved. Through the living hope we have in God's promises. Remember that in the biblical sense, hope is a confident expectation of future blessings based on facts and promises. The fact on which our hope is based, is that on that first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Do you believe that, dear brother, dear sister? If you believe that God was powerful enough to raise his son from the dead, then surely it's not hard to accept that he will also preserve you for the final day. Don't despair when troubles overtake you. The Bible makes it clear that for Christians, the way to glory is through suffering. Beloved, hold fast the promises of God. Allow the resurrection of Jesus Christ to give you that new perspective on life. Don't focus on all the negative things of life, on the struggles and the difficulties that beset you. Instead, count your blessings every day. God's mercies are new every morning. Learn to sing songs of thankfulness and praise to God, especially in the tough times of life. For the Lord has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His resurrection assures us God has a glorious future in store for us. Our Lord will preserve us so that we may share in his blessings on the final day. Until that day, let us praise and adore God for his mercy and grace given us in Jesus Christ. Amen.